the scripture reading is from Hebrews 3, 1 through 19. And it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were, that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. Good morning. It's good to be back here at Lake Baldwin Church with you all as we look together at Hebrews 3. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to come and be our teacher and point us to Jesus this morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come to you this morning hopeful and looking forward to what you have to speak to us through this passage. We pray, Lord, that you will now open our hearts and our minds and help us to really focus on this passage together. We pray that the Holy Spirit will be the one who is our teacher and that we would see Jesus much more clearly through this passage of Scripture. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last, week, last weekend, we all remembered with a flood of different emotions the events of 9-11 obviously. For those of you who were alive then or old enough to remember uh, the events of September 11, 2001, you know that those events are embedded in the psyche of America. 
and in every one of our minds. We think very often, especially lately of 9-11, we were forever changed by that event. But my wife and I remember 9-11 for another reason. Um, 9-11 was a Tuesday, if I remember correctly, and by Thursday of that week, I started having chest pains. Whenever I took a breath, I felt this intense pressure on my chest. When I breathed in, it was like a stabbing pain in my heart, and it got worse and worse as the hours went by. I tried to pass it off. I told my wife, maybe it's indigestion, it's nothing to worry about, but she said, Mike, you may be having a heart attack. After all, it was a time of terrible stress for everybody, and perhaps that's what I was suffering from. So she said, I'm calling 911. We were living in Waterford Lakes at the time, and an ambulance came. It was in the evening. It was dark, and red lights uh, filled up and troubled the whole neighborhood that we lived in. They picked me up and took me to the hospital. I stayed at East Orlando Hospital a couple of days. They did an EKG. They did a stress test. They did all these other things to my body, and when all was said and done, they said, Mike, your heart's in good shape, but what you have is pleurisy. Anybody here ever had pleurisy? Okay, I see a couple hands. It's no fun. Pleurisy is an inflammation of the tissue around the lung, and it often feels very similar to a heart attack, and that was a huge relief for me. My father suffered from heart disease much of his life. I was afraid I was a candidate, if not already suffered a heart attack. But that experience, though I didn't have actual heart trouble, it did teach me how fragile life is and the importance of having a healthy heart. Our text this morning also teaches the importance of a healthy heart. Only I'm not talking about this muscle that's pumping in our chest right now. I'm talking about our spiritual heart. You know, the Bible mentions the heart, the spiritual heart, about a thousand times. And almost always is talking about the spiritual part of us, for lack of a better word, or better, your core. That is the center of your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices. From God's point of view, your heart, your spiritual heart, is the most important thing about you. Or more accurately, your heart is you, according to God. Your heart is you. It's the seat of your, your thoughts, your desires, your values, and your behavior. Proverbs 4.23 says it best of all. The heart is the wellspring of life. Maybe you can remember this little phrase. The heart is where it all starts. It's the wellspring of life. But, but so often, aren't we like the guy who goes to a car dealership looking for a car, and he sees this sleek and beautiful and wonderful car, and he says, I want that car. And then the car dealer uh, owner comes up to that man and says, uh, sir, the problem is that car doesn't have a motor. And the guy says, well, that doesn't matter. It looks good on the outside. That would be ridiculous, right? 
because we know that the motor is the most important part of the car. Just as your heart, your spiritual center, is the most important part or thing about you. The heart moves the life. Now, in our passage that Abby read a little while ago, there are multiple references to the heart. Did you, did you notice them? You should go back and look together. Let me point them out to you in your Bible. Verse 8, do not harden your hearts. Verse 10, they, the Israelites, always go astray in their heart. Verse 12 mentions an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart. And finally, verse 15, once again, do not harden your hearts. What's the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying, don't allow the core of your being, the center of your thoughts, feelings, and choices to get hard, bitter, stubborn, rebellious, and cold toward God. Was that message relevant to these people who first received this letter? Of course it was. You know by now, I think, that this letter was written to a group of professing, notice that, professing Christians in Rome, probably, who were suffering persecution and who were tempted to turn their backs on Christianity and go back, go backwards to their religion of their past, to a lifeless religion, a religion of works instead of faith in Jesus, a religion of ceremonies and animal sacrifices and temple worship instead of a personal relationship with Christ. In chapter 2, the writer said, don't drift away from Jesus. Now in chapter 3, the writer is again telling these people, don't drift away from Jesus. But instead of saying, don't drift away from Jesus, he says, don't harden your hearts. It means the same thing. So I want to talk about with you this morning four things. The possibility of a hard heart, the signs of a hard heart, the result of a hard heart, and finally, the path to a tender heart. So those four things. Let's dive into the first one, the possibility of a hard heart. Do you know that it is possible for people who appear spiritual, who go to church, people who know theology, even people who do good things for other people, it is possible for those very people to have a hard heart toward God. At Reform Seminary, where I work, one of the things I often try to tell students is that it is possible to succeed, quote-unquote, in seminary, while all the while being emotionally and spiritually unhealthy. It's possible to have all the good grades, to make the dean's list to do really, really well and graduate with high honors and yet all the while be unhealthy emotionally to have this hard, bitter heart that we're talking about today. For some of you this morning, for some of you, it's possible to be on staff with crew. It's possible to be active in the youth group here at LBC. It's possible to be a leader in this church. It's possible to be a pastor a Bible study leader, and all kinds of other things that we do. It's possible to be very engaged in the outward acts of, of a Christian walk 
and yet have a hard heart toward the Lord. Now, how do I know that, and why can I say that? Well, it's because of what our text tells us right there in verses 7 through 11. Let's look at that again. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you, harden, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, these verses are a quotation from Psalm 95. We actually started the service today by reading a call to worship from Psalm 95. And those verses are taken directly from that psalm in the Old Testament. And Psalm 95 talks about two tragic episodes in the history of Old Testament Israel. And these two episodes, I'll give you the chapters Exodus 17 and Numbers 14, if you want to jot those down. Let me summarize briefly. These two episodes in the life of Israel that Psalm 95 talks about, one of them was when the people of Israel were marching up through the wilderness from Egypt toward the promised land. They arrived at a place called Rephidim, Rephidim, where they were incredibly tired and very thirsty. They began to grumble against Moses and against God. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to die in this desert of thirst? So God told Moses to strike a rock with his staff and water would come out for the people. And that's exactly what happened. But because of the grumbling and complaining and the bad attitudes of the people, Moses called that place Masa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the people tested and grumbled and quarreled with God at Rephidim. That's Exodus 17. The second episode that is referred to in Psalm 95 is in Numbers 14. And that was when the people of Israel, still marching up through the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land, arrived at a different place called Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And God told Moses to send some spies up into Canaan, the promised land, to do some reconnaissance, right? To spy out the land and check it out and bring back a report. So Moses did that. He sent 12 spies up into Canaan. They spent 40 days exploring the land of Canaan. They came back and they said, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. But they said, we can't go up there. The people who live in Canaan are too strong and powerful. And they were especially worried about the giants that they saw who were part of this group of people known as the uh, Nephilim. Well, uh, two of the spies, though, two of the 12, Joshua and Caleb said, come on, guys, with God's help, we can defeat the Canaanites. But the other 10 spies stuck to their story, and they discouraged the people. And so once again, the, uh, the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. They said, we want to go back to Egypt. Well, because of that, God threatened them. He said, I'm going to wipe out the nation. And Moses fell on his knees and fell on his face before God and interceded for the people. And so God forgave them. But he said, not one, as we see in our text today, not one of the people who saw the signs that I performed in Egypt, but disobeyed me and tested me, not one of them will ever see the promised land. One of the saddest passages in all the Bible, because what happened is, the people of Israel had to wander in the desert for 40 years. And every adult, except for Joshua and Caleb, died 
before reaching Canaan. Those two stories, you see, are the basis for the author's warning in Hebrews 11, uh, sorry, Hebrews 3, to these first century Jewish Christians. He's saying, don't do what your forefathers did. Don't harden your hearts. Now this chapter, this story, ought to make us tremble. Because these people were in the community of faith. To use a term that Mike Tilley used, I believe, last week, they were in the visible church. They professed to believe in God. Verse 16 says, Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Wasn't it all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Weren't they church folk? They had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They had been fed with manna out of heaven. Can you imagine? They drank water out of the rock that I was talking about. They had heard the voice of God from Mount Sinai. But when trouble came, they turned away from the Lord. During a time of testing, revealed the condition of their hearts. That they were stony and cold and hard. And they were not able to enter the land of promise. Is it possible that there are people sitting in Christian churches even today who will not be in heaven someday? Yes, it's entirely possible. Is it possible that there are people here at Lake Baldwin Church who are in fact not born again? It is tragically possible. It's possible to be, as Jack Miller often said, all show and no go. To make an outward profession of faith in Christ and yet not have inward grace. It's possible then to have a hard heart. The question is, how would you know? How would you know if you have a hard heart toward the Lord? Well, there are signs. We're going to talk about that now. Let's talk about the signs of a hard heart. Like I said earlier, when I was in the hospital, they did all these tests, right? EKG, all these different tests to see if my heart was in trouble. So let's, would you let with me, let the Holy Spirit be our divine cardiologist and examine us for a little while and see? Because this text alludes to three signs or symptoms of a hardened heart. First sign, a resentful, bitter spirit when things don't go your way. A resentful, bitter spirit when things don't go your way. What did the Israelites do when they got thirsty at Rephidim? They grumbled, right? They complained uh, to God, against God. They raised their fists up at God and said, you can't do this to us. They, they kind of saw God like a giant ATM machine, right? You stick in your card, you punch a few buttons, and blessings are supposed to come out. When God doesn't come through, you get mad at him, resentful. It sort of justifies your disobedience to say, you didn't do your part, God, so therefore I can go do this, you know. 
Don't we often do that when testing comes, when difficulties come our way? We question God. We grumble against his ways. We forget what he's done for us in the past, and we worry about tomorrow. How do you react? Could I ask you that question? How do you react when something bad happens? How have you behaved during this COVID era that never seems to go away? How do you respond when you're criticized, when you're passed over for a job? How do you respond when a friend calls you out about something? Do you get angry? Do you defend yourself? Is there an attitude of pride that says, I'm better than that. I don't deserve this. Sort of like the Israelites did. Or are you able to say, Lord, have mercy on me. This is hard, but I put my trust in you. Help me receive all things as from your loving gracious hand first sign then is a resentful bitter spirit when things aren't to your liking second sign there's a second one alluded to in this passage and that is blame shifting blame shifting back in that second story that I was describing to you from numbers 14 when the Israelites heard about all the powerful people who lived up there in Canaan, you know, the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the stalactites, the stalagmites, and all those other ites. They said, we can't attack those people. We can't go up there. There are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers compared to them, they said. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt. And the people started to choose another leader besides somebody who would take them back from whence they came but the problem wasn't the ites was it the problem wasn't Moses either it was the people's own attitude toward God they just didn't want to do what God told them to do yet they pinned the blame on others for their own shortcomings I ask you whom do you hold responsible for your struggles your spouse, your kids, your parents, your family of origin? You, you say, if my parents had just done a better job, I wouldn't be having these difficulties today. Or maybe it's the fault of your boss or your neighbors or your teacher that you're in the place you're in. Now listen to me. I'm not downplaying the fact that we've been wounded by others. We need to acknowledge the wounds we've received and sometimes even hold accountable people for the harm that they've caused us. So I'm not downplaying that one moment. Trauma, harm, abuse happens. It's not your fault. It's their fault. We pin the blame righteously on certain people at certain times. But when you focus, in general, when you focus only on what's been done to you, without looking deeply at what's been done by you. That can be symptomatic of a hard heart, similar to what we see here in the history of Israel. So we've seen um, a resentful spirit. We've seen blame shifting. The third sign of a hard heart in this passage of Scripture is unbelief. Unbelief. Look at verse 19. It says it, point blank. We see that they, that is the Israelites, were unable to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. 
What is unbelief? It is the stubborn refusal to rest in God's promises. God had promised the Israelites many times over that he would protect them and provide for them and bring them up safely to the promised land. He had promised and he had done it. He had protected them. He had provided for them along their way. But the Israelites rejected God's word. According to verse 12, they had an evil, unbelieving heart leading them to fall away from the living God. Now, let's be careful about this. Unbelief is not the same as doubt. Doubt says, I can't believe. Unbelief says, I won't believe. Doubt is okay. It is. I go through periods of doubt. I think we all struggle, if we're honest, to believe God sometimes. We go through periods where we struggle with some of the things we read in the Bible. That's okay. Doubters, we need them in the church. You're probably one. I've been a doubter. Doubt is okay, but unbelief is sinful. It's a deliberate decision to live as though what God has said is irrelevant and untrue. Unbelief says there's no God in heaven. He has not spoken. He cannot help me. And furthermore, he does not want to help me. That's unbelief. And that can be a sign of a hard heart. Perhaps I should hit the pause button right here and just ask, why is the author of Hebrews telling us these things? And you may be sitting there thinking, Mike, why are you talking this way? This is no fun. You should be telling us that God loves us and he's got a grace and mercy. Listen, you who are parents, do you ever warn your children not to do certain things? Of course you do. And that's a sign of your love. Love sometimes means you say the hard things. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing in Hebrews 3. He is loving us by telling us to look at our hearts. You don't pay a cardiologist to tell you everything's fine. Although that's what you would like him to say. No, you pay him to examine you and to find out what's wrong. You want to be healthy. You want to experience life the way it's meant to be. And so... The warnings of Scripture are God's way of revealing what may be wrong so that we're spiritually strong and emotionally healthy and experience life the way it's meant to be. So let's go on. The third thing I want us to see from this passage is not only the possibility of a hard heart and the signs of a hard heart, but the result of a hard heart. What is, it? What is the result? Judgment. Judgment. Look at verse 11, where the writer says, I swore, this is God speaking, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, this is important. The person whose heart remains hard and cold and resistant to God without repentance will not inherit eternal life. Say that again. The person whose heart remains hard and cold and resistant to God without repentance will not inherit eternal life. A whole generation of Israelites, as we see here, missed out on the promised land. Why? Because of verse 10, their hearts were always going astray. Now, can a true Christian lose his or her salvation? No. 
We're going to be looking at that later in this study of Hebrews. Can a true Christian lose his or her salvation? Somebody who really does trust Jesus will end up in hell one day? No, that is not possible. Jesus promised that whoever comes to me, he says in John 6, I will never drive away. He says in John 10 that his sheep will never perish. Nobody can snatch them out of my hand. So if you belong to Jesus this morning, you may have ups and downs. We all do. You may sometimes take two steps forward and four or five backward, but you will make it all the way to the promised land of heaven. You're secure in the hands of your loving father. But it behooves you to make sure. I would not be faithfully preaching this uh, chapter of scripture if I did not say that it behooves you to look at your heart and ask yourself, are the signs present in my life? Is there need for me to repent of these things that this passage points out? Maybe you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you through this sermon, convicting you that you've been drifting from Jesus and you're concerned that you're becoming like the Israelites of old. Maybe bitter toward how things have turned out for you, blaming other people for your troubles, distrustful and unbelieving toward God. I want you to know God forgives he does. He loves you and he longs to be gracious toward you. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And so if God has been working on your heart, even as we speak this morning, you may be saying, okay, so what do I do? What does repentance look like? Well, let me wrap up by showing you the path to a tender heart. The path to a tender heart is spoken of in this chapter in two different ways. First, find a way. Here's what repentance looks like, okay? Find a way to live in community with some other Christians. Yeah, that's actually a way to repent. To live in community, to find a way to belong in life with some other Christians in genuine community. We're going to talk about that. And the second way is to believe the gospel. So repentance looks like, first of all, living in community with other Christians. Look at verse 13. It's right here. Verse 13 says, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you, so that, see, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you see the connection? between staying soft and tender toward God and being in community with others to such a way, in such a way that we can actually begin to exhort one another and love each other and hold one another accountable in a loving way. It's part of community. You cannot do the Christian life by yourself. You need people around you to encourage you. You need somebody in front of you to show you the way. Someone behind you to watch your back. And someone beside you to share your burdens. So get into a small group if you're not in one. This church has lots of ways to experience community. If you're not already in a Bible study, think about joining one. Ask a more mature Christian. Ask a more mature Christian to disciple you or to mentor you. Invite people into your home. Go to that class that TJ talked about earlier on the Holy Spirit. Make some new friends. In other words, find a way with God's help 
to be in community. That'll help keep your heart soft and pliable toward God and toward others. So first, live in community. But the second way to experience true repentance and to have that soft heart is to believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Verse 1. Let's go back up to the top of the chapter where the author says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Look at that word consider. You know, it doesn't mean just, okay, I consider that. It's not like that. No, it's a word that means to really ponder, to think intently or discover. So to consider Jesus means to continue thinking about Jesus, discovering all the ways that God has loved us in Christ. And I'll put it this way, a phrase you might have heard before, Preach the gospel to yourself is a great way to consider Jesus. Preach the gospel to yourself. Verse 2 says that Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. So let's ponder that for a moment. Think about Jesus being faithful. He lived faithfully. He always obeyed his father's will. He always had a soft, tender heart toward God. Jesus died faithfully too. He said yes to the Father's redemptive plan. He went to the cross to redeem you, to buy you out of your sin and misery and bring you into the house of God. Jesus rose from the dead faithfully. He ascended to heaven faithfully. And one day, he'll come back again faithfully to restore all things and make all things new. It's really very simple. If you want to keep your heart healthy and tender... Think about Jesus during the day, in your car, going to work when you're sitting in your desk at school, when you're with friends, when you're alone. Think about Jesus. Consider him who is the author and high priest of your confession. He won't let go of you. Don't let go of him. Let's pray. Father, you've challenged us this morning to, if you hear your voice, do not harden our hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you will continue to be our cardiologist and look deeply. Lord, we admit, we admit, I admit, our grumbling, our shifting of blame our unbelief of your promises. But we bring our sins to Jesus. We consider that he died for them. Lord, we think about your name, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, Savior, Lord, Christ. We think about your offices, prophet, priest, king. We think about your life of obedience, We consider your temptations, your prayers, your miracles, your tears, your suffering in the garden, your cross, your resurrection, your ascension. We think about your return someday to make all things new. God, would you help us to preach the gospel to ourselves like that every day, at least once, maybe twice, three times. 
Because when we drift away from the gospel, we do uh, drift into the sins that we've talked about today. So Lord, we bring our hearts to you. And I pray that if there be one in this building who is unsure whether he or she has in fact received Christ, Lord, let this day be the day in which he or she calls out to you for grace and for rescue. And thank you that you will not drive them away. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.